0: I don't know what you're expecting this morning Um, as I was reviewing what I had chosen to talk about this morning I thought well maybe I should change the title to 7 Biblical Ways to Ascertain ascertain, um, Cancellation of Events in a Minnesota Winter but uh, I thought maybe uh, maybe I'd be scrambling for that so I chose not to do that I have chosen to talk about Some thoughts from John 6. You could turn there if you wish. Title My Thoughts uh, Lessons from Three Miracles of Bread. Bread has uh, long been regarded in the history of mankind as the staff of life, Um, uh, somewhat of a foundation to the food that people have eaten through the ages it's a very basic somewhat of a humble food and um, we first have the mention of bread way back in Genesis um, God says in Genesis 3:19, he told Adam he said by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread now, I'm sure that he probably had more than in mind than just bread but he did mention bread there in that particular uh, curse actually bread is very transient and easy to keep Um, probably part of the reason that it it is called the staff of life Um, whenever the Israelites left um, Egypt, bread was one of the things they took with them, albeit it was unleavened bread is also very satisfying Uh, the carb load in bread is relatively high and that is a bane or a blessing depending on what side of the uh, tipping point of the scale you are on It's something that I would guess most people enjoy. I would say there's probably very few of us that wouldn't enjoy bread. Something else I find interesting, and I don't know why this is, but um, at most formal meals, I guess you would say, uh, the first thing around the table is generally bread. Now, I don't know if you know why that would be. I don't know that uh, for sure. Um, I actually researched that just a little bit because it made me curious and I didn't really come up with a good answer. Um, there is some thought, and I think this is probably true, that in the event of, uh, of a restaurant experience, they just as soon fill you up on bread, uh, pretty cheap fare, so on the other end you're not digging into the desserts too hard. So that made some sense. Um, maybe it's symbolic, you know, we'll sit down, we'll get the bread in. And if worst comes to absolute worst, we at least got that done and we have something to go on. I have no idea, just some thoughts. I do remember this. Um, Years and years ago, when I was quite young, my family and and another family went out to eat and it was not a buffet-style restaurant. We sat down, it was relatively uh, busy that that day, as I recall, at this restaurant. And uh, they just kept bringing dinner rolls just kept bringing them out, setting them on the table, and us children, we kept digging into dinner rolls. And uh, it was all said and done. Dad had a lot of plates to clean up because we were fooling rolls. So uh, <laughs> he didn't take us out deep for quite a while after that. There might be a reason for that. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, bread is uh, bread is uh, somewhat mundane while I mentioned that, but there is an art to making bread. Ask anybody that has Uh, mastered that art and they will tell you that it is indeed an art Um, and not very many people will uh, succeed in their attempt to make bread from scratch in the first attempt Um, I remember uh, after we got married I'm not sure how this came to be but um, my wife decided to make bread and um, she did that and I do remember eating quite a bit of flat bread for a while, it just didn't want to get right. And But as she honed that skill, uh, I have to admit, I cannot remember the last flat bread of loaf or, or a loaf of bread that I ate. It, it gets very nice now. So she's mastered that art, and I'm thankful for that. Um, it is laborious, somewhat, could be. Bosch Mixers has taken care of some of that, but it can be. So there's some of the things that I I kind of uh, thought about, as I thought about bread and, and some of the things that go into the natural part of bread, that as we look here in in John six, um, consider those things as we look at uh, at bread here in, in this particular chapter. I'm also impressed with the um, with the special place that bread seems to have in, in the ceremonial. Would you say that? History of, of mankind or God's people. Um, if you think about it, what did God send uh, the, the folks to eat in, in the, in the uh, 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness there, the Israelites? So it was something like bread. Um, at least it's referred to that. We have the uh, table of showbread that, uh, the, um, that was very much a part of the ceremony of, um, of the Israelites' worship of God. Uh, literally, showbread means, or the, the, the yeah, showbread means the bread of the face. So, in other words, as those twelve loaves were baked every Sabbath day, put on the table of showbread, and sprinkle with incense, left set for a week. The next set, Sabbath, the uh, the priests would eat these these loaves, and they would um, put another twelve loaves on there and repeat that process. So when you think of that, the symbolism of ingesting that bread and actually partaking of God and his uh, teachings in a very um, real way, very symbolic. And uh, it, has a, it, has, it carries over into some of the New Testament symbols of bread as well. Um, Aaron's ordination, interestingly enough, uh, bread was used as, as part of that process. It was part of the uh, ceremony. And so, we have, uh, even down in today, um, twice a year, when we uh, celebrate uh, communion, bread is a part of that. And um, today, as we look at John 6, uh, we will see a reason that uh, that is the case. Uh, it's, it's, it's some real symbolism there as well. John 6 is a lengthy chapter. I think we're going to at, re- at least read uh, a good part of it here and, um, and go from there. John 6, 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming come unto him. He saith unto Philip, what shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that, that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now let's skip down to verse 22. The day following... When the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, Neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence comest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, and for them for him hath the God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou that we may, then that we may see and believe thee? And what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life into the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. For I come, came down not from heaven, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of all which he hath given me, that I should lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the Son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come unto me except the Father which hath seen, sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any, any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath, and, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said... This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured of it, at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? When, enough, when and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, And who should betray him? And he said, Therefore said said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them Have I not chosen you twelve And one of you have a devil He spake of Judas Iscariot The son of Simon For it was that For, it was, for he it was that should betray him Being one of the twelve Alright Going back to the beginning here Like I say I want to talk about Three different miraculous breads The way I see it coming out here In, in chapter six Um starts out in verse 1. It says, after these things. To get a little bit of a background, um, if we go back into the uh, Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, and by the way, uh, this is the only miracle, if I have it correctly, that is recorded in all four Gospels, which is interesting, I think, the feeding of the 5,000 here. So if we go back into those uh, other Gospels, we'll find that just prior to this, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Mark tells us that the disciples had just returned from their missionary journey out to the parts of um, different villages there in in, uh, Israel to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. Interestingly enough, on that particular occasion, um, Jesus instructed them not to take any bread. So Mark says they had just come back and their attempt was to withdraw from these crowds. Um, In Luke, we learn that Jesus saw these crowds and he welcomed them and he taught them and he healed them and so when we combined all this information together you know it would um, it would certainly be understandable that Jesus and his disciples would have preferred just to go by themselves for a while and have, a, have just a, a good time of fellowship together but that's not how it, the events transpired Instead, we have this event here of the feeding of the 5,000. So I want to draw just a few observations here about this event um, of, of this feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the first thing I, I see here is that um, Jesus, although spiritually, he seemed to be much more concerned about the spiritual life of his followers and the people that heard him. He was indeed concerned about their physical well-being as well, um, verse 5 it says he lifted up his eyes he saw the company and he turns to Philip and he said hey you know what are we going to do about giving these folks some bread Um, I think he wished to instill that in his disciples as well that they have concern about people's physical needs Um, Matthew and Mark's account would tell us that the disciples actually said we'd like to see these folks go away send them away Jesus says no you feed them next thing I see here is that there is not a real connection between money and God's provision. Instantly, Philip says, well, two-thirds of a year's wages would not buy enough bread for these folks to eat, you know, and, and you're expecting us to come up with this with this money to buy these folks food? Um, it seems like he's like, you know, it seems like he's not getting it. Um, Jesus seems to think that he should have gotten it. In verse 6, he said he asked him this to prove to prove him. It seems like uh, Jesus would have thought perhaps Philip should have had a handle on what could possibly take place here. Andrew maybe has a bit more of a grasp on it. He at least presents the, um, the small lunch that he found, and he says, here, maybe this will help. So... Um, I think the bottom line here is um, truly God does want us to trust him with all our hearts and not lean into our own own understanding another thing I see here is that simple insufficient seemingly insufficient fare is quite adequate in Jesus hands and it deserves our gratitude you know you think about it the story is so familiar I don't know if we can completely grasp what happened there but um You know, here we have these little loaves and fishes, and it's one boy's little lunch, and we're going to feed 5,000 folks with this. The other thing I find interesting is barley uh, in those days, if I understand correctly, was one of the lowliest grains. I mean, if you are eating barley bread, your economic uh, state probably wasn't the greatest. Um, Quite lowly, uh, considered... um, more animal feed than human diet, but um, this boy had barley bread. The thing that's interesting is, not only could Jesus feed these folks, these people were full. When they were done, it says they were content, they were full, they had plenty, and um, they were good to go. All four of the Gospels also um, tell us that Jesus stopped and gave thanks for this stuff. Um, It was not... Too mundane or too lowly or too whatever to to not stop and thank God for these these loaves of barley so i uh I like how I see this progression here. We have this barley, we have this um, this little boy, we give thanks, and we feed a whole lot of people. I did have to wonder, I wonder if the barley bread got better as the as the server serving went on. It happened that way in Cana. We know that. The wine got better the, more, the longer it went. Uh, perhaps. We don't know that. The other thing I see here is that waste is certainly not acceptable. Um, Jesus was concerned that the, fragment, the frag- fragments were gathered together, and he specifically says, don't let anything be lost. Make sure you get it all. That's not acceptable to waste this stuff. So, what happened? What were the results of this miracle? Well, the people were sure impressed. Verse fourteen and fifteen, they said, "Well, surely this man is uh, is the prophet that should come into the into the world." And in verse fifteen, John tells us that he they were ready to grab him and make him king. They they were very ready to have this man be a leader among them and uh, continue to bake break break some bread. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's probably what was on their minds. And uh, Whenever they found out that Jesus disappeared the next day, they went to great lengths to find him. In verse 24 and 25, I, just, I see this multitude of people you know, trying to find Jesus. Where did he get to? And, and getting in the boats and so on and so forth. And um, they were ready to find this man. They did not want to let him get away. Well, the, the net result, if you wash it all out, the net result of this was that, sure, they had bread. It was miraculous bread. But 12 hours later, they needed more bread. They were hungry 12 hours later. The only inclination they had to follow Jesus was because every 12 hours they wanted their bread, or however often they thought they would get it. Jesus informs them of this. He said, you didn't come after me um, because of my miracles. He said, you, you ate and you were filled, so you're after me. Uh, it seems they were disillusioned. And they had uh, a bit of misplaced priorities. Um, So at the end of the day, they were very disillusioned barley bread bellies, really, is what they were. So the conversation continues in verse 28 to 32. It seems that the uh, um, crowd was receptive to what Jesus had to say here. He he starts to teach them in verse 26 and kind of lead them gently in a way that he wants them to think. And uh, so they, they say in, uh, in verse... Let's uh, see, where is it? Um, uh, verse 20, somewhere they say... Um, oh, in verse 28, they said what shall we do that we can work the works of God? And so Jesus explains to them that they should believe uh, on him who God sent. And they said, well, sure, we'll do that in verse 30. But first we want a sign. They said, um, give us a sign. And they insinuate in verse 31, that uh, they want something like Moses gave. They said, you know, Moses gave this bread from heaven. It was a sign. Um, we, we want you to do something like this. Uh, I find it ironic that they somewhat seem to be lifting that up above um, the miracle they just had Saul performed. Um, I would assume, anyway, that these folks had somewhat of, a, of an idea what happened here when they were being fed. I guess I don't know that for absolute sure. Um, if, the, if the folks that were being fed knew that a miracle was transpiring, it seems like they could have or should have known that. Um, but they were like, no, we, uh, we're more impressed with manna. If you can, if you can do something like that, uh, bring us this, this bread like Moses did, then we'll believe in you. Well, Jesus um, um, gives them a little lesson on, um, on just why. They got this bread that uh, they thought Moses uh, brought to them. Um, and a little research on, on why they uh, saw Moses as connected to the manna, or Moses as like a great prophet that brought this manna. Um, in Deuteronomy 18, if we would go back and read that, Moses there tells the people as he's phasing out of his ministry there as a leader of that, uh, of that time, He said, there's going to be another prophet raised up from among your people sometime in the future, and you should listen to this prophet. Well, through the generations, it seems that the people were indeed looking for a prophet, as we know, a Messiah. And, um, but they they kind of got the skewed idea that this this prophet would perhaps be a maker, like, like Moses was. And they thought their request... For this manna as a sign was very legitimate. Well, let's just look at manna for a minute, and um, indeed it was a miracle. And let's just look at what happened there and some of the results of that particular uh, miracle of bread. If we would go back to Exodus 13, or excuse me Exodus 16, and maybe we'll just turn there just briefly um, to just notice a few things there. This is, um, this, is <coughs> this is where they this is where they experienced the uh, initiation of this manna. It's somewhat sad that the reason this this manna was initiated in uh, in uh, Exodus 16 was because of a lot of murmuring and complaining. Um, I do not know what God would have chosen to do to feed these people. Maybe he had manna in mind all along. I I don't know that. But I do know this, the way it worked out, the people were bitterly complaining about their lot in life and this wretched wilderness they were in and this great land of Egypt they had just left. And so they come to Moses like they always do and they're they're whining and complaining. And in verse 4, then said the Lord unto Moses behold I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rain every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no and it shall come to, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily and Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel at even then you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning then you shall see the glory of the Lord for he heareth your murmurings against the Lord and what are we that ye murmur against us and Moses said this shall this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to your full the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him and what are we your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord so I'll stop reading there so we have a this this bread came with some really specific directions God in verse 4 says I'm sending the manna for a test this is going to be a test Um, he doesn't call it a sign he calls it a test Um, and we know how this plays out every morning the manna fell every morning you went out and you gathered one omer per person so if you had six people in your family you gathered six omers it was one omer per person no matter how big you were how old you were how small you were whatever you got an omer that was it And you ate that omer. That day you got rid of that omer. And um, you kept not overnight. And we all know good and well what happened if you did. It bred worms and it stank. Well, then something different happened on Fridays. You went out and you gathered two. And it didn't stink the next morning. You got to eat your second omer on the Sabbath day. It was very unique stuff. In uh, verse 31, it says, In the house of Israel, Called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Doesn't sound like bad fare to me. Um, this seems like it did satisfy the need there at the time. But what happened later? Well, we know that story, don't we? If we go uh, into the book of Numbers, well, before we go there, we find in this chapter that every command that God gave regarding manna was broken, every one of them. Some people had to try gathering more than an omer so they could smell the stuff the next morning. Some people had to go out on, the, on Friday and say, well, we'll take our chances that maybe it will fall on Saturday. It didn't happen. So they went hungry on Saturday. And it, it infuriated Moses. I, uh, I can, um, you know, you can just kind of feel Moses is almost to the, almost to the edge, almost ready to snap with these people. And their. It seems like they're just gung-ho on, uh, on breaking every command that the Lord gave them. The people were satisfied one day at a time. The next morning, they needed more manna. Well, in num- Numbers 11, if we return to that, we would find that the people grew weary of manna, uh, somewhat predictably. And once again, they come to Moses, and they are complaining about their situation in life. So Moses, again, predictably, cries to God in verse 2, and um, God tells him what what is going to happen. They're going to to have meat. He tells Moses they're going to have meat to eat. Moses, in 19 to 23 of chapter 11 of Numbers, he goes, how are you going to do this, God? Meat for this many people? I mean, if we killed every animal we had, we wouldn't have enough meat for these people. Uh, I see, I see a, a similarity between his response and Philip's response on how do we feed the people. You know, Philip's like, I, I, 200 pennies worth wouldn't be enough. Moses is like, all the animals wouldn't be enough. How are you going to do it? Well, God got it done. He sent these quail. What happened? The people went out and said, the person that gathered the least gathered 10 omers. Now remember, one omer of manna was enough. The person that gathered the least of this quail together yeah, ten omers and their uh, their gluttony their um, absolute um, yeah I guess gluttony you would call it it angered God and it said that his wrath was incurred, and many died so was manna a great thing well, I think we concur that it was it was a great thing was it was it as great as uh, the people here in our in our lesson here in John 6 made it out to be well I'm not sure I think they had a, mis- a misperception of this Jesus seems to bring this out it seems that Jesus wanted to drive home with these people that while the people on this manna diet were physically d- sustained it did not guarantee life what happened to every one of those people or at least a certain generation that wandered around in that wilderness they all died So it did not guarantee life, and it for sure left them spiritually wanton. It certainly did not do much for their spiritual life. Perhaps could have, but it certainly didn't. Jesus uh, drives us home in verse 49 and 58 of John 6. He says, your fathers ate this manna, but they all died. Again, I want to stress it was truly a miracle, but God says in Deuteronomy 8, he says, I gave this bread to humble and to test them. He said, that was the reason I gave that bread. And humbled and tested they were. So when we look at manna, we we pull this all together. Manna was certainly a miracle. It was certainly something in God's plan. It was certainly something that a generation of people enjoyed. But it only lasted for a few years. And one day it stopped. There was no more manna. And we have to concur that it did not have a a dynamic effect on that generation. And generations later, their posterity, the posterity of these people that had enjoyed this manna, had this disillusioned idea that it was some sort of a sign that Moses gave. And they almost idolized this stuff. And um, Jesus tells them, if we would have looked in John 5, verses uh, forty. 5 to 47, he said, If you would really believe what Moses said, you'd believe me too. But it certainly did not have that effect on them. Well, let's come to the last bread. And this is what um, Jesus spends the bulk of his time on here in this chapter. And that is the bread of life. So some observations from the bread of life. After Jesus whets their appetite here in verse 33... And they start asking him questions and he begins to respond to their invitation to teach. He declares himself in verse 35, verse 51, and verse 48 that I am the bread of life. The bottom line I think that Jesus was trying to teach here is that there's only one source of life uh, and he is that source. Now, today... That's considered a bigoted thing to say, that there's only one source of life. But folks, never forget that. Jesus said it, and that's the way it is. There is one source of life, there is one way to salvation, and there's only one, and that's through Jesus. That's not bigoted, that's just the truth. Another observation from the bread of life is uh, while this bread is available... It, uh, you can partake of it. I can partake of it. It can't be purchased, and we, but we must put forth effort to obtain it. It just won't fall into your lap. Now consider that whenever you put that up against the manna we talked about and the bread that fed the 5,000. Um, that manna was only available to the Israelites. Nobody around the Israelites got to partake of that manna. The bread that fed the five 5,000 only fed the 5,000. There was not people in the towns around that got that bread. It was, it was quite isolated to a certain group of people. However, the bread of life is available to the whole world. Anybody that wants to eat of this bread certainly can. However, I also want to stress here that, as I mentioned before, it will not fall in your lap. Verse 27 Jesus says it's something that must be labored for. Verse 35 and 37, he talks about coming. He said, he that cometh to me. If I'm coming somewhere, I am putting forth some effort. I have to do my part to get this bread. Verse 40 and 47, he says, you have to believe on me. If I'm believing on something, it's a choice. I I choose to believe this thing. Verse 54 and 56, he says, he talks about eating this bread. If uh, I'm eating, I'm certainly making a conscious decision what to put in my mouth when I'm eating. And uh, so you have to labor, you have to come, you have to believe, you have to eat. There's some things that you must do if you wish to partake of this bread. But you certainly can. It's welcome to to everybody. Also, I see that uh, as far as I can tell from this chapter... There's no limit to the amount you can consume or I can consume um, or to the people that can participate. Um, In the uh, event of manna, you got one omer. That was it. No more. We talked about that. In the um, feeding of the 5,000, you got one fill-up. That was it. There was no more. When you participate in eating the bread of life, There is no limit. You can have as much as you want to consume. I'm thankful for that. Um, If I eat too much bread in the physical sense, I may regret that. I may may get a little bigger than I wish to get. On the contrast, if you eat the bread of life, uh, it will not have detrimental effects to your spiritual life. The other thing I notice about this bread is that it attracts only a certain amount of people. Even though it's available to everyone, it only attracts a certain amount of people. Look at verse 44. It says, No man can come to me except the Father, which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. He repeats this idea in verse 65, and he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, Except it were given unto him of my father. Now, what does that all mean? I uh, I listened with some interest to our discussion in Sunday school about the whole um, concept of predestination, how that how that fits or doesn't fit with our uh, thinking on on that idea of theology. And we, I think, sometimes we back away from Um, from discussing this because it doesn't quite fit the way we look at it. And I'm not here with any big insight. However, we cannot deny the fact that there's something to do or God has a part to play in drawing us to him. How that works, I am not completely sure. But it says quite clearly here that God plays a part in that. I did notice in Ephesians there in our lesson um, that we were studying in in verse 11, it talks about being predestined after the counsel of his own will. I'm gonna just simply say today, I don't know all the nuances of the counsel of God's own will. I I don't understand that completely. I would just say this, I completely concur with the way our discussion went in Sunday school. That we cannot conclude from the Bible that uh, um, I can't help anything. I have nothing to do with my salvation. I have nothing at all. I'm just predestined. It does not seem to fit the tenor of Scripture. However, I would also say that, again, to repeat myself, let's not back away from some clear things here, too. There's something about it. I don't understand it. Um, I have observed some things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Um, why is it that some people seem receptive to the gospel others do not I don't know does it have something to do about um, their um, being open to being drawn by by God again I, I'm not sure but I would, I would tend, to, tend to conclude that it does um, and I guess we don't have to um, solve that mystery this morning but I would just repeat that Certainly, if you don't have a, if you do not want to have a taste for this bread, if you do not want to have a part of this bread, if you do not want to um, embrace it with what, with all your heart, you, you won't, you won't, it won't, it won't just happen to you. You, you have to be, you have to be drawn to it um, by the Father. And I guess I'll leave it at that. If you, uh if you have more insight on that, I'd be very happy to hear about it. Well, what's the result? Well, the earthly bread we talked about cannot give spiritual life. But interestingly, it seems that if we're focused on spiritual bread, we're promised that God will also look out for our physical needs. That doesn't come out terribly clearly here in, uh, in this chapter, except for um, where he talks about, I want you to focus on laboring for the spiritual bread and not so much about uh, laboring for the physical. He does mention that. But it's, it's a New, New Testament idea. Seek first God's kingdom. These other things will be looked after. What is the absolute net result here? Well, Verse 39, verse 40, verse 44, verse 54, verse 58. Eternal life. Eternal life. Everlasting life. It's repeated over and over. If you'll eat this bread of life, you'll have eternal life. It seems like that's something that even the basest of men would, would aspire to. Um, when you consider that 17.6% of the GDP is spent on health care in this country, it seems like we want to eke out as many years as we can. God says, you follow me, you eat this bread, you can die and you can live forever. I mean, what kind of a guarantee is that? Is anybody interested in that this morning? Uh, I truly am. It seems like the other breads left people disappointed, disillusioned, confused, maybe, maybe misunderstanding a few things. Whereas this bread, you eat it, you will understand more. You will not be a disillusioned person. You will not be a disappointed person. Well, we have to bring this to a close. The thing I find the most interesting about these three miracles of bread is that it seems like it, it uh, groups the people into three different groups. So we have the first group that was chasing the, the um, bread they got around there whenever Jesus broke it to them. I think these folks were folk that wanted an easy life. Um, If an easy life meant Jesus, Jesus can be a part of that. If it's just as easy to live an easy life without Jesus, get him out of the way. Whichever way is easy, I'm going with that. No real desire to take part in anything that would call for sacrifice. Not a desire for that at all. And I think we see that played out in our world today. I don't have to explain that to you. Just interesting, I was listening to a talk by a sociologist here not too long ago. And he was quite a secular man. But anyway, he just pointed out that from 1960 to the present, we've seen a huge drop in the way people embrace faith in this country that we live. And that's no surprise to any of you. I know you know that. But he said, currently, blue-collar workers in this country do not embrace faith. Like a mere 12% would say that faith plays an important part in their life. Basically what that tells me is at one point in time, Jesus was perceived to play an important part. He no longer is. I just want the easy life. If he can make it easier for me, fine. If, if I perceive that he does not, let him go. That's what I see as, as kind of the one group of people. And I think uh, verse 66 says it all. It says, From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. That was that group of people. We have another group of people here that John refers to as the Jews. And these Jews seem to be the one that Jesus was directing his teaching to on why they shouldn't be so hung up on this manna. Why manna was not the end-all be-all. I see these people as quite religious these people um, wanted religion, but they certainly did not want what Jesus was bringing to them. Uh, they murmured about it. They, they grumbled about it. They would rather have it Moses' way, or they'd rather have it their own way. They'd rather come up with their own um, way of doing religion, you might want to say. And again, I see a great many people like that in today's world. Um, you know, they, they, they would certainly like to have the blessing of new testament living but they would rather do it what their own way or the old testament way or some other way the promise here is that if you want jesus blessing you have to do it jesus way all right so that's group two the third group i see is indeed those type of people it's a very small group and their testimony i think is is what simon peter said in verse 68 when Jesus said, will you go away too? He said, where do we go? Where would, you, where would we possibly go? You have the words of eternal life. These people know where life comes from. They partake of the, of the bread of life. They're going to enjoy eternal life. They embrace Jesus' teaching, the New Testament teaching, and they will enjoy New Testament blessing." I think it's interesting that if we would go to Revelation 2, there uh, Jesus is talking to some of the churches and he said uh, to the one church there, and I don't remember which one it was, but he said, if you endure to the end, I'm going to give you bread. He said, I'm going to give you hidden manna. I don't know about you and me, but uh, or you, but I would like to partake of that hidden manna and I have a feeling you would too. So if you wish to partake of that Let's find ourselves in group three. Let's find ourselves as that group that is embracing the bread of life, eating on it, and absolutely um, convinced in our minds and determined to join Peter in saying, you have the words, we'll follow.